Luke 15, we've been enjoying the, the incredible power of God's word from this chapter. And I want to invite you to look with me at verse 25 now, and let's take it through the end of the chapter. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Now, you know there's an incredible celebration when you hear the music and you hear the dancing. So there is a party happening at this guy's house, right? Now, let's continue on. When he returned home, he heard this music and dancing, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Well, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me uh, not even one of your young goats for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours came back, notice, he's he's your son, he's not my brother. Don't you love family talk? Yet when this son of yours came back uh, after squandering your money on prostitutes, You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Powerful words. We had to celebrate. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father described the son, the prodigal son, as being dead. And now he's back to life. The question is, what does it mean to be dead in sin? What does it mean to come alive in Christ? And what is the power that can allow us to come alive? We've seen this prodigal son go to his father and ask for his inheritance early. A very evil thing in that culture. And he went as far from the father's presence as he could get. And living his own way and doing his own thing, he became humiliated and broken. The writer of Proverbs, called the wisest man who's ever lived, said there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. We watch the prodigal at the beginning of the story. He goes on the path to him that seems right. And we watch his life crumble like so many of the celebrities in our day because they are so public and the the media is 24-7. We watch so many of them take a path that seems right. Just like maybe we have taken by like people we know have taken, but the end thereof doesn't give them what they were looking for. This young man ends up broken and he knows if he should return home. They will invoke a ceremony to indicate his brokenness, and there's no hope for repair. So one way to understand what it means to be dead in sin is to be broken beyond repair. He has lost his identity. Really, he leaves the house in a way looking for himself, but he loses himself in the pursuit So he's lost his identity, and one way to describe what it means to be dead in sin is that you lose your sense of purpose, your sense of self. 
You lose so much of who you are. And, and then you struggle with the futility that you can never regain that sense of identity. Today we see an understanding of what it means to be dead in sin by the word alienation. You see, he's gone as far as he can and he realizes his mistake. And in the depths of his sin, he's recalling that everything he ever wanted or needed was there in the Father's presence. But now he is cut off. In his mind, he doesn't think there can be reconciliation. So he's ejected out of all that really satisfied. Now we see the whole gospel story. Because in the brilliance of Jesus' writings, so often we, we're getting a message at multiple layers. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were in the garden of God. They had the presence of God. They had everything they ever wanted. The work there satisfied the capacity of creativity. The counsel of God was there to answer the farthest reaching questions of the human mind. The love of God was there to satisfy the deep need in all humanity for love and affirmation. He told them what to do. They did the opposite. He said, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. What do we learn from their spiritual death, alienation, for they were ejected from the garden, from the Father's presence. They had everything they wanted there in the garden. The prodigal had everything he could ever want there in the house. And so when he sinned away that opportunity, he felt there was no ability to return, so he was cut off. He was alienated. So to be dead in sin, is to sense that emptiness, disconnection, that void. As much as you try to make something secure and special and home, there's still a homesickness. And you wonder if there's any remedy, if there's any medicine, if there's a cure for that deepest part of who you are that has such an emptiness. Alienation would be described as misery, as futility, as hopelessness. Hopelessness. What comes to my mind, you've probably seen The Lion King. I love The Lion King. I remember Kelly and I got to see that on Broadway in New York. I'll never forget that. And the father lion speaks to the son lion as the son lion is trying to figure out the circle of life. Because the sun lion doesn't see it as a circle. He sees it as a pyramid, and he says, we are on top of the pyramid. Like we're eating the antelopes and everything else, and, and so what is this deal about a circle? And Father Lion says, no, son. Yes, we eat the antelopes, but ultimately we die. And then we fertilize the grass, and the antelopes eat the grass. And the young lion, you can just see it on his face. You're like, wait a minute. You mean at the end of the day, we're just fertilizer. And he, he's struggling with, well, how futile is that? What kind of life is that? What kind of death? It doesn't matter how strong you are. At the end of the day, that's, that's the, the extent of it. Alienation, which is to be dead in sin, is that deepest futility. 
Now you've squandered. That's a great word that some of the versions use. He squandered the presence and the provision of the Father. And now he lives disconnected without any hope that there could be restoration. Death. What's it mean to be made alive? talk in a moment about the power for the transition, but what's it mean to be alive? We come to the part of the story where life is going to be described through a feast. The elder brother who was out in the field working heard music, and he heard dancing. And the fattened calf was being prepared because a feast was being put on by the Father. All through the Old Testament. They would have feasts to ratify major events. They would have feasts to ratify covenant. To this day, the Jews will observe Passover, a great event, having a great feast that reminds them of the activity of God. Even in our culture, and especially this week, we're all moving toward a feast. And the church said, feast. If you have history with family, perhaps you know about those feasts. Going to grandma's house. There's something about a feast that this boy is learning. Now remember, he's been alienated, disconnected, broken, without the thought of repair. And when he returns home, instead of a ceremony saying, you're cut off and there's no hope of return... His father embraces him and says, get the finest robe, ring, and shoes. Immediately restoring the identity of the son and letting the son know brokenness is not going to have the last word. Relationship and restoration will have the last word. Now he's seated at the table. And as this feast is going on, just think about it. Because at a feast there is food and So there's this blessing to your body. This boy was starving to death. A great famine, not just a famine, a great famine had struck. Luke's very technical in his terms. This boy was starving. And so now he's home and he has food. There's a replenishment, a sustenance to his body. There's family. He's back in the Father's presence. There's something for his soul. I don't know about you. I I would hope for you that when you're together with family around the table that there's not only the blessing of the food but the blessing of the company and there's laughter there's something for the body the soul it's it's holistic what we're learning in this feast is what it means to be alive in God it is overwhelming it is satisfying all of the emptiness that you experienced in sin and death is now answered in the presence and the provision of the father See, that's why salvation, the gospel of God, is good news. Because everything you've been looking for that resulted in death and loss is answered in the gift of God by means of grace, by what Christ has done for you. So you can have that emptiness addressed, that meaninglessness addressed, that futility addressed. Hey, we're more than just fertilizer. We are the people of God. And you can come alive. Alive. 
That's what we're trying to say to the community. What's it mean to come alive? That deepest part of who you are discovers fellowship, resource, provision. Now, what's the power to go from death to life? The prodigal teaches us he he didn't have the power for the transaction to occur. He didn't have the money. He even rehearsed a speech about working for his dad. And he even dropped that part of the speech because there's no way to work your way into this. I don't know what kind of tradition you come from, but there's no way to earn this. There's no way to be good enough for it. And we plead for you to forgive us if we've had an elder brother syndrome and forgotten where we came from in some way, somehow, didn't make it easy to come back to Christ. Come back today. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what you've done. Come back to Christ today. Come alive. So, what's the power to make it happen? We can't. Timothy Keller has written a book I strongly recommend. It's called Prodigal God. He talks about the divine solution. Now, let's put Luke 15 into context. Jesus has been trying to teach how the kingdom works. And in Luke 14, we learn the people weren't getting it. So in Luke 15, he, he has an interesting audience. Sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, and some followers. So in order to communicate with these groups, he says three stories. A shepherd who lost one of a hundred sheep and went after the one, left the 99. That was like, what shepherd would do that? A coin that had been lost and the house was turned upside down to find the coin. And now a son that was lost, described as dead. And everyone listening would know what the rest of the story would be. It would read, just as the shepherd went after the sheep, as the lady turned the house over looking for the coin, the elder brother would run out to meet the prodigal son. Because you see, in that culture, the elder brother was assigned to hold the family together. That's why the elder brother would get two-thirds of the father's estate. The younger would get a third. So when the father liquidated assets to give the younger his third, now the elder brother has two-thirds, and, and the estate has been settled because that's the only way the father could have done it. Now they're ready. Here goes the elder brother. He's going to run, after, uh, run out to meet his prodigal brother. But we read that the elder brother wants nothing to do with this homecoming. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He is now setting up the elder brother like a mirror so that these Pharisees can see how hard they're making it for sinners to come to God. And Jesus is the one talking. And how does the Bible, what is one way that Jesus is described as the elder brother? Oh. Who was in the splendor and the glory of heaven. Talk about the Father's house. Had everything. And unlike the elder brother in Luke 15, 
our elder brother, Jesus Christ, was willing, according to Philippians 2, to come from heaven to earth and to take on the form of humanity. Now, he could have said, I'll go to earth, but I want to maintain my kingship, no humanity. But there would be no provision for redemption unless this Savior became also man and endured the harsh realities of life, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, so that our elder brother could propitiate, become the substitute for our sin. Track with me and let the gospel just bring us to a place of thanksgiving, and then we're going to celebrate communion. So here's this, this teaching going on by Jesus and he's, he's talking to them at multiple layers. And he's ultimately going to help them to understand that like, unlike the elder brother of Luke 15, who wasn't willing to sacrifice, he, Jesus Christ, was willing to sacrifice. The elder brother of Luke 15 was struggling that the fattened calf was sacrificed and used so that it could be part of a homecoming. Whereas Jesus, our elder brother, in the story, is both father and sacrifice. See, it's impossible for this prodigal to come home without it costing the elder brother something. And he doesn't like it. See, the younger brother spent all of his money. It's gone. And so when he returns home, the only way there can be a celebration is if the elder brother's willing to to give of what is his. And you see his attitude about it. You see his struggle with it. And so here's this celebration. And now we get this great way of understanding the sacrifice of God by giving his son Jesus and the willingness and submission of Christ by going all the way to the cross because he was willing to give of himself to be the sacrifice to take our place, so let's go down the line. Jesus moved and worked in such a way to where he was forsaken. Matthew 8, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He was forsaken. Go all the way to the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off so we would never have to be forsaken. He took the cup of wrath Go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he took the cup of wrath so that we could partake of the cup of celebration. He, think about this, was alienated so that we could experience a homecoming. He willingly and gladly gave his life and died so that we could come alive because without him there is no presence or provision for life. That is why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, because we understand. But for our elder brother, Jesus Christ, taking our place at Calvary, dying, we would not be able to live spiritually. He was crucified outside of the gate of the city like the scapegoat who was taken out of the city and led away. He was killed like the lamb who was slaughtered many of them throughout the Old Testament pointing to this man Jesus our elder brother who took our place and he died 
so that we might live. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His grace and His grace alone. You can come alive today. The divine solution, Jesus Christ, our elder brother, who willingly gave His life so that we might have life. So, here is this feast going on in their celebration. Isn't it interesting how Luke 15 just really takes us from Genesis to Revelation? Because what do we learn in Revelation? There's going to be a feast. Even in heaven, to mark the moment, to mark the event, what are we going to do? We're going to gather at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be at a place where our bodies will not grow weary Sickness can't enter. Sorrow and death will be no more. Come on, church. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more crying. And we're going to be seated at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And most of all, Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our redeemer, the propitiation of our sin, our God, our Savior. And we're going to celebrate at the marriage supper. Let me just encourage you with a, with a side note here. We do understand celebration in our culture. There are certain places where we just abandon reputation, meaning what other people think of us, and, and we will go full throttle, all-out celebration. I don't know what that is for you. Everybody has that in their life. I mean, people who, who are quite reserved, yet I've seen them in certain contexts could be a t-ball game. You, so there's a context where every, everybody understands at some level celebration, but yet we know in all of those it's quite temporal. And if you're an Oklahoma football fan, you're glad it's temporal. You're like thankful that there's another season coming. Moving right along. Oh, just I've got two tickets to the OU game. God... <laughs> Costs about 50 cents on eBay. Uh, anyway, let, let's keep right on going. Here's the deal now. Here, here's the deal. We understand celebration. Now, in the church, celebration gets, gets a weird response. Because some people think it's flippant. Because we only shout on sunshiny days. And, and, and where's the authenticity of life to where at times... Your worship is through your tears. Tears of grief. Tears of sorrow. And so some people can't get involved in the the worship and celebration because they don't feel like it's balanced. Because they know the harsh realities of life. We're just not always emotionally happy. So I appreciate that. Psalm 118 says, Rejoice in the Lord, for this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. A willful response, regardless of circumstance. And knowing that my joy, and this is, a, this is an aspect for us as followers of Christ, and it's part of growing in Christ, where we learn that our joy really isn't connected to what's going on around us. Now that's a hard one, because we're so, I mean, weather will change attitudes. I wish it wasn't that way, but it, it, it just 
Quite honestly, some people see it's raining outside so they don't even come to church. Call them when you get home. <laughs> see, we understand, we, we, we have, we are affected, but think about this. If we, here's Luke 15. If we really understand Luke 15, the power of the gospel, then when life's spinning out of control, we won't be spinning out of control. And when economies do really weird things, we're not going to lose our joy. And when there are other issues going on, we, we've got a sustenance to life, and it comes through the presence and the provision of the Father, not the presence and the provision of the way things are going in this world. Because, you see, we understand we're just passing through. See, the whole idea of homesickness in Luke 15 is not just salvation from spiritual death to spiritual life. It is also giving us a taste of glory divine. To no matter how good it gets on this side, there will still, even with salvation, be a longing in our hearts because this is not home. But the Father made it clear to us that He was preparing a place. Jesus said, I'm going away. I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the counselor, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who will be in you and go along beside you, help you, strengthen you, be your prayer partner, give you joy even on a rainy day and will remind you that this is not all there is. And will keep pointing you to one of the central core truths of Scripture and that is the blessed hope that one day... We are going home. And when we get home, the Father is going to throw a party and we're going to have a feast and it is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. That is the power of truth for all eternity. Now don't lose your shout. Don't lose your celebration. Celebrate those things that come and go that have interest to you. But don't lose your celebration when it comes to the things of God. Don't lose your praise. Because what you have received from God, the world did not give to you. And there's nothing that the devil can do to take it away. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every once in a while, you, you need to just walk through the affirmation of Scripture until you're freshly reminded that you belong to God, that you are on the winning side, that no matter how tough it gets, you will not be forsaken or forgotten, and at the end of the day, you will remain standing because you're a winner and you're not a loser, not because of who you are, but because of who he is, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. We're just prodigals. Humanity is the prodigal son, but the father ran because the Luke 15 passage tells us he was willing to sacrifice. And here comes Jesus in his full honesty, humility, purity, and power all the way to the cross. And there, he was nailed to the cross for me. On the cross crucified for me, he died. He was nailed to the cross for me. And that's why on today, we start how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Celebration. So has he given us a way to 
say thanks, a way to remember that we were prodigals, a way to reflect on the fact that by grace we've been saved, and a way to worship because this is not all there is, but there is coming the ultimate feast? Yes. And it's called communion. And there's nothing like taking communion. Now, when you got saved, it was you and the Lord. Nobody can get saved for you. It's very personal and it's very private. But notice, when the prodigal came home, they created a feast. And it was quite a number of people. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be at a feast. It won't be private. It'll be a community. You'll even look around and go, you mean you made it? <laughs> and they'll look at you and go, you? So there, there will be all of these people from every kindred, nation, and tongue. That is why, and maybe somebody needs to hear this, you need a church family. Because there's, your salvation experience was personal and private. But now you walk it out in community. And when you get to heaven, it's all going to be community. And communion, you get to take it in the context of a bunch of prodigals who've come home. Sinners saved by grace. And we as the family of God worship Him out of our own testimony. Out of our own experience of where He found us and where He's brought us to. And where He's taking us. When we get to heaven. And some of us, probably most everyone in this room, has a loved one that's already there. And you will be in the laughter of family. Because it does something for the soul. There will be food. No cholesterol. <laughs> Feast. It will be awesome. And communion is just a foretaste. So the Bible is very clear that we ought to have a time like this where we celebrate communion together.